This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is Abe Streep, author of Brothers on Three, a chronicle of the R. Lee Warriors boys basketball team's amazing run of state championships and their role in promoting suicide prevention. They had brought great joy at a time of great sorrow, and they played under immense pressure with incredible grace. Abe has written for the New York Times Magazine, The New Yorker, Outside, and many other prominent outlets. In 2019, Abe won the American Mosaic Journalism Prize for deep reporting on underrepresented communities. And Brothers on Three is a wonderful contribution. Abe, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, so tell us uh, where you grew up and what your parents did. I grew up in a town called Nyack, New York. Okay, I know it. My mother is a poet and was formerly a uh, soap opera actress. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and my father is a longtime educator, so he... Uh, was a teacher and an assistant principal and a basketball coach at a New York City public school. And so give us the sort of, you know, streamlined view of you know, how you got into journalism. What was your path? At first, I I took a journalism class in college with a, with a couple of teachers who I remem- remain very close with, uh, Sue Halpern and Bill McKibben. Okay. And then I, after college, I'm, I actually ended up coming out here and uh, living for a little while in Missoula and, you know, trying to be a writer and put that in air quotes. And uh, and I was cooking at the Hobnob Cafe and uh, and I wrote a couple of articles for Brad Tyre at the Missoula Independent. Okay. Yeah. But I have since worked at, at uh, Outside Magazine for a while. Yep. And for the past, since 2014, I've been a freelance writer. Sure. And so this particular, you know, we're going to talk about your your new book, Brothers on Three, which grew out of a New York Times uh, magazine story. It's sort of an interesting anecdote about how you kind of got on to this story. You were driving by a sign in Arlie that was commemorating the team's success. Tell us about that experience. In the winter spring of 2017, Mm -hmm. my partner was overseas and I was living here temporarily. I was working on a different article about refugee resettlement in Montana, and I was um, driving to Kalispell, and I saw that sign saying that the Warriors had won the championship, the state championship, and I was in, I like, you know, my dad was a basketball coach, and I like sports a lot, <laughs> and uh, so that was, piqued my, I looked into it. Yeah, yeah, like what's going on here, this little town right off the road? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I read a couple of articles, I guess, and one of them, I saw that, one of the players on the team, Philip Molitor, who was then a rising senior, who or you know, who was then a junior, you know, averaged uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of a triple double. Right, and, right, yeah, yeah. just and crazy, great, crazy things. Yeah, so I was I was interested and in, um, and I proposed an article about the team, and it was at that point largely tied to Philip's college prospects, and I also, you know, saying that kind of makes me wince a little now because it to propose yeah. an article. To, to think about 
rather to think about this team within the context of one player was to miss the point of the miss the essence of the team and what it represents indeed so let's maybe just transition right into that it is not a book about one player it's a book about so many different people and stories and i think perhaps starting with some of the hard ground truth in the community or one of the hard ground truths was this community was going through a tremendous really difficult suicide cluster at the time. Well, talk about the sort of setting in which these kids were achieving incredible things on the court, but also facing tremendous tragedy in their community. Yeah, I, they, I wasn't aware of that. I, yeah. I, I, initially, um, I soon became aware of this. And yeah, they had brought great joy at a time of great sorrow. And they played under immense pressure with incredible grace. Talk about that pressure. Is it from the community? Is it from within? Like it's it's portrayed in the book as a as a complex force in the story. What do you think of some of the sources of that pressure, and how did it? How do the kids experience it? Well, where do you think that pressure comes from? A lot of places. I mean, they're representing their people. They're representing place, a lifestyle, a culture, and it also seems that they're trying to. It's like they're playing a game within a system that exists but they're playing it in their own way, if, th- if that makes sense. I don't know if that's fair and that aligns with yes, your take. I think that's a, that is a fair characterization. Yeah. And I think that some of this pressure that you reference comes from history, from the yeah. history that we are all a part of. Mm-hmm. Maybe like set the stage there. Like one of the, the phrases or the, the, the terms that's used is, is Indian ball. Like what is, how would you describe Indian, Indian ball? Like these kids are, they play a different style of basketball. I shouldn't say different necessarily, but they play a distinct style of basketball. What was it like to watch them play? This team played a distinct style that was often mischaracterized uh, and misunderstood. Okay. There's a moment in the book where I, I try, to, try to write about this, but I, they, they were, it was often called run and gun uh, or, or freewheeling, and there were aspects of those characterizations that might contain kernels of truth, but what they did was so much more complex than that. It was based off these elaborate defenses that the coaches, led by head coach Zane and Pitts, had designed, and for, and for Annie Brown, Lone, Francis Brown, Lone Bear, for Annie Brown, and they were really elaborate and and require and sometimes multiple defensive plays within a certain um, within a, within a single possession, and built off these complex rotations that. Uh, demanded a lot of understanding and communication. It was distinct and thrilling and an expression of excellence and often dominance. Yeah, and, and to maybe sort of talk about that complexity, I mean, whether it's called run and gun or street ball or some of these, you know, whatever slang terms for styles of basketball often are intended to convey like, a lack of understanding of the game or a lack of skill. I don't know that that a reliance on skill and just, you know, roll out the ball and let these natural athletes do their thing. What you're saying is it's a far more complex system. It's deeply a team game. Yet these kids are flying around the court doing amazing things athletically, but it is within a pretty distinct system. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it takes a long time to learn. Yeah. And, um, and tremendous fitness too. I mean, that tremendous comes fitness. The yeah, there's a lot of running, but and and there's a lot of communication and smarts. Yeah, and 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 um, yeah, the system that the, the that this team ran was, I would I would call it an intellectual system. It was 
predicated on speed and fitness, but it was but they outsmarted the other teams. Yeah, and so that comes from kind of this intersection of the coach and the players, right? The coach has a vision, but the players have to execute. And in some ways, like, you know, I can only really draw on my own experiences playing on team sports, but it seemed like in this instance, the kids had a pretty active role in kind of not only executing the system, but sort of, you know, being leaders on the floor and being, you know, not not co-coaches, that's not the right term, but they were driving the bus as much as anybody else. I think everybody was together, and but yeah. but the coach Zanin also enabled that. Right. I think that's what good coaching is. But yeah, there are moments when in the story when Zane and Franny are clearly leading the way, and there are moments when Greg Weitzel and and Phil Molitor are leading the way. You know, there's a there's a moment in the story where they weren't often in danger of losing, right? But in the state tournament, they they had a game when when a number of the players were very ill, on like on top of you know all that they were carrying and and on top of their efforts to lift up their community using videos to discuss mental health they were also very ill while they were playing in these state yeah. tournament games um a lot and, of uh, uh, yeah yeah there's a lot <laughs> of N- not everybody but three of the starters you know and will Mustith jr was playing with a kidney stone so they got in a game where it got kind of tense and uh close and at, at halftime phil kind of greg's talking about rotations and adjustments and Zanin is as well, and Phil cuts in, and he's booming. He's like, you know, we rely on each other. That's how we beat these teams. We rely on each other, and so yeah, they it was it was a it was a team effort, and the team was representative of community. And before they would play, um, before and after, they you know the title of the book comes from their words, mm-hmm. um, um, brothers on three or brothers on three, family on six, and that's what this team is. So talk about that kind of. Y- y- not necessarily your role in the story, but this is you know a tightly knit community going through trauma and joy concurrently, um, it, and spread in different ways throughout the community. H- how did you go about um, kind of getting to know this group of people and, and earning their trust and kind of just yeah earning their trust and sort of yeah setting that up? I think that some of that I try to address this in the book sort yeah. of I try to address it in a frank way I don't know if it works but but I think that the nature of immersive journalism is that hopefully when it's done well hopefully it can show people as real people complicated people in a way that they can recognize and that can be human fully human and I think it's not something where you're out to quote unquote get the story it's not it's a complicated and deep experience, I think. And in this case, for me at least, deeply meaningful. And I often wonder why me, and I don't know the answer to that. And I, um, and I think that this kind of storytelling is, this, is, is a collaborative endeavor with the people who are deciding to share certain things with you. Yeah, I mean, that comes through clearly. You, have, you had deep experiences and relationships with these people some of the stories of you know you going on the the hunt for elk sheds with phil particularly resonate or some of the drives with zane and um, i should say i should correct that i wasn't oh. i wasn't i wasn't hunting we were scoping for elk scoping. Elk, elk sheds yeah yeah we were looking at them but we weren't actually uh, out walking the hills we were but yes that what, what struck you about that passage i mean it's just you would have to have overcome the role of outsider to be able to share a moment like that, I, I would think. 
with a young man and with a coach. Right. There's a moment at the when I first meet Phil and I say something kind of grasping, like, I'd love to go you know, hunting for shit handlers. And he's like, I can't take you hunting. Or something, something like that, right? Yeah. He says, I can't take you. Yeah. And then that changes. And the, there's a moment where I kind of try to, where I'm offered a gift in the book. And it's a gift of great uh, significance. And I, uh, I, ha- I say no, you know, under the, um, because I'm at the time writing for the New York Times magazine, which, which doesn't. Yeah, policy, does, right? Right, policy. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and so I try to, you know, write about that moment in a, in a real way that's also hopefully, you know, I mean, that's up close about both myself and um, the institution, the New York Times. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a culture clash in and of itself. Yeah, like there's this notion of being able to be objective and yeah. neutra- absolute neutrality, absolute objectivity. And at a certain point, I think in a deep reporting, immersive reporting process, it's, I kind of shed that. And yeah. it's just you're um, there to be as honest as possible and to try to tell the truth as honestly as possible as you see it and with as much respect as possible. Yeah, and I think that comes through in your writing, Abe. I mean, you, you, the reader can sort of carry your experiences of it. And, and one of the things that, that struck me about reading this book is it's so complex on many dimensions, yet it would be easy to fall into simple narratives to explain any one of those threads. And, and, and you avoid that really elegantly. I think sometimes with what feels like some editorialization, sometimes with just like leaving thoughts and stories out there for the reader to kind of decide on. One of those stories or threads is the difficulty that some of these kids from tribal communities have had getting recruited in, into college basketball. Yes. And so maybe talk more about that. Like Phil was, you know, if, if anybody was going to be a Division One player, Phil had those skills. It, it would seem he had that talent, he had the stats line, yet it wasn't uh, a, by, my, by no means a clear path to college basketball for him. No, it wasn't. Phil wanted to play here. Yeah. He wanted to play for the University of Montana Grizzlies. There were stratospheric expectations on him from when he was very young. There are. He would say it's nice being near home. And another thing that ma- your question makes me think of is something that Franny Brown says a couple of times in the book, is, which is that these kids can go anywhere and they're out of bounds. And he's referring to going into places where, in his estimation, these players are less understood. Mm. And I think that my sense is that these are complex issues, but I think, and that for one, there is, what was shared with me by, well, numerous people in the book is that there's for too long been an unspoken stigma in the state holding that indigenous players, especially young men from reservations might not stay in um, colleges, that they might return home. Okay. You know, a couple of players who I wrote about were aware of this and made it their business to to prove that wrong. Right? So motivated to yeah, come up Yeah, you know, so, yeah. right. So I don't want to generalize, but Phil, Will, they, the two senior captains that year who were terrific players and cousins who played so well together, play so well together, I should say wanted to play near home mm-hmm. and it didn't work out here correct and, and, and readers can get some of that story in the book there is a spoiler alert here but what i'm 
you know, Phil is doing well and he's um, playing ball at another school and a school where hopefully he can play with less pressure and have fun. And, and I want to say that I'm, I'm done writing about this and he's, it, but I do think that it is a systemic failure and, and it was sort of bewildering. And I think it was representative of a lack of communication between Missoula and R. Lee, really. So we're talking about a, you, sort of a mundane curricular issue from Phil's curriculum in right, high school yeah. that precluded him from, from playing having here. NCAA eligibility. Right, exactly. And then, that's right, not having the right core credits. And hopefully that doesn't happen again. And the next time this ar- this as- an analogous situation arises. But everyone, again, everyone in the story, in R. Lee, has taken accountability for that. And I have not heard, publicly at least, that same measure of responsibility taken by the Division One university that occupies ancestral Salish land. I mean, what we're talking about there is this, I don't know if a power asymmetry is the right way to describe it, but University of Montana national program competing at a high level. Phil could arguably make the roster. He was invited as a, as a walk-on. So there is this, you know, this university has... A, a, a number of resources to make sure that those sorts of systemic failures don't occur. Who who bears the majority of responsibility in those cases? I, I don't know how those things play out, but um, you know what I'm sort of hearing you say is that we could have done more to get them here. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I think that um, it was remarkable to see him and all these guys kind of overcome these obstacles again and again and again and again and again. And again, and to, and that's something that I think that we all, anybody can take some inspiration from. And also, maybe it's time for some of those obstacles to get removed, like yesterday. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that's on all all of us. We'll be back to my conversation with Abe Streep after this short break. A new angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hi, this is Steve Albini, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to New Angle. I'm speaking with Abe Streep about his powerful new book, Brothers on Three. You know, I just feel like like athletics is such a wonderful it can be such a yeah. wonderful force and this a, and this team the early warriors this was like you know with their dominant artistic play oh. also uplifting their community like there is never i have never seen joy. never seen a more beautiful example of what athletics can be yeah and, and i don't think i ever will so one of the things that comes up in the book and in our conversation is is how the team is represented in the media you know being on the ground here reporting, what was your what were your observations of the media coverage here? I was very aware of it because there was <laughs> there's a moment when I'm well one the first time I met F- Phil, um, someone stopped, was there and was speaking about the Missoulians' coverage of the state championship and was frustrated by um, what an uh, an emphasis in the story on the age of the team's bus. Wow, um, and so that was. An, an early, I became aware of it a little bit then. Like the team had this clunker of a bus, is that? There's, there's, there's sort of a tone of that in sure. one story. And then I also became aware of it because the coach, Zanin Pitts, was 
at times frustrated that the team hadn't been covered, and he felt keenly that 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 impacted uh, players' recruitment prospects. Mm-hmm. Sure, right? People within the community have issues with with local news's coverage of criminal justice issues that some deem to be kind of leering. And then something that I also saw was just that this is for the time at which the reporting of the book took place. Um, but you know the the sports press in the state has tends toward uh, up coverage that I would call uplifting. And I also think that if you there you can see a a certain shift in that in like la- I'm not sure when, but Jeff Welsh at 406 Sports wrote a piece about um, uh, the officiating at a game when uh, um, a team walked off the court in protest of of calls. Officiating is an issue that has been been an issue in the state for a while, and I've um, became aware of it in the book partly because um, the coach, Zane and Pitts, would pray before the game, let the refs keep up, and it was defiant and brash, and it was also sort of beautiful and true um, because the, the, the refs being gatekeepers and r- rule enforcers of sorts, most are not from reservation communities, and, and so he meant that, let the refs keep up. Anyway, Jeff Welsh recently wrote a piece um, to give him credit um, where he was criticizing the officiating in a game and pointedly and saying it was something to the effect of um, for this team, the, the message is clear, something like assimilate or be punished. And, but at other times, I think that the, the cover, and especially around recruitment, is, has tended toward look how good this is, look how good this is. And that's great and can be great. And it also, if there's not pressure on institutions to address systemic problems, those systemic problems just kind of continue. Because there's always a reason why, if someone's pushing for a change, there's always a reason why it shouldn't change, right? It's always easier to not change. Mm -hmm. Um, Or somebody has a vested interest in it. Sure, even if they might not even know it or or be a a, for sure yeah um yeah be able to say that yeah so let's talk in our remaining time a little bit about the coach zanin pitts such an interesting character uh zanin is a energetic and deeply inspiring uh coach Mm -hmm. who who rallied a lot of people and led this team and could be could be brash he um he and could be did find himself occasional you know at odds with with people in the administration and he was fiercely devoted is fiercely devoted to the players on his team he's an inspiring figure and a truly brilliant coach i would say who 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 does things his own way and doesn't compromise and that can rally people and it also at times could create tension or or be you know there could tensions arose as well but we're all complicated we're all i think that's the like you know, he's yeah, he's he's a complicated man and a brilliant man, I would say. And the the point of this kind of work is to try to see someone's complex humanity. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very well put, and I think the book does a tremendous job of that. I mean, I can see, I could feel it reading it, and then in this conversation, um, it's super salient as well. Your commitment to this work, your commitment to this community, and and, and you know, telling a truth and a set of truths. Um, what's next for you? I'm working on a magazine story right now, and um, and I'm I think I'm just sitting sitting with this this story right now that and and listening, and um, and I want to I just like to just if it's okay you know we've talked about a couple of people in the book at part just 
But um, this is a story about a lot of players and a lot of people who represent a community, and um, it's the community story. Yeah. And I wrote down the parts that were entrusted to me, and I hope I did that in a good way. And I also want to say that this team was this team of teams is so much more than one or two players. It's the entire team, and some of the issues, the systemic issues that we talked about with Philip. I don't want to isolate him. Will Mesteth Jr. Um, is a terrific player, and he, um, as is Greg Weitzel, mm-hmm. as is Lane Johnson, as are all these guys, Isaac Fisher, and um, the something that was. It's a story about his dominant team, not just winning, but truly dominant. And as you pointed out earlier playing a distinct style, uncompromising style. And people had talked a lot to me about the various ways, the systemic obstacles that these that young men that these young men faced. And when it came to recruitment, right after the the magazine story published those you could see that happen in real time. I think it's time to have an honest and open discourse about it in the state. And I think it's time because the colleges the frontier conference colleges, the division one colleges. There's a number of places in the book where people in positions of authority don't want to speak about this issue, yeah. right? And it's just time to speak about it. I think that the these programs are missing out. Yeah. Well, thank you for starting that conversation or continuing it. And um, yeah, thanks for being here, Abe. I appreciate the book. I appreciate your sharing your time with us and telling your your story. And I encourage everybody to get out there and read Brothers on Three. It's a, it's a tremendous contribution. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. A.J. Williams is our producer. BTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.